Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Soberlink. The Soberlink system is designed to make parenting time safer with real-time remote alcohol monitoring. Soberlink uniquely combines a breathalyzer with wireless connectivity and is the only system that includes facial recognition, tamper detection, and advanced reporting. Parents can submit a test anytime, anywhere, and have test results delivered automatically to the concerned parties. Simplify co-parenting arrangements by using the system that provides transparency and proof of sobriety throughout the day. Join the thousands of parents who are already benefiting from Soberlink by visiting www.soberlink.com backslash family law. For a limited time, get an exclusive $50 off your device by emailing info at soberlink.com and mentioning Divorce and Beyond. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. My message is it has to be equality. If we want equality, you have to be taking equal responsibility for these kids, truly. And that's not easier said than done, right? Hello, and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce, and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process, so listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and today I have a very special guest joining us, and you have literally seen her Everywhere. And when I say everywhere, I mean the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, NPR, Oprah, literally hundreds of different outlets. Um, she is a journalist, an activist, and the creator of WealthySingleMommy.com, which is the largest single mother community in the world. She's also an author. I don't know where she has time to do all of this stuff, but the name of the book makes me happy. The Kick-Ass Single Mom, which the New York Post named as smart and a must read. Uh, and she's also, and this is what we're going to dive into today, because she is the founder of the activist group Moms for Shared Parenting. And this is may sound like a simple title. This opens a whole can of worms. It's the most interesting topic. And in fact, she has spoken on the topic of single motherhood and gender equality, both for Google, so you know, the, the worldwide source of all knowledge, as well as at the United Nations. So this is, I am calling this the single most important episode to listen to for both separated parents and their kids. And I want to thank you, Emma Johnson, for joining me today. Thank you. That is a very warm welcome. I'm very flattered. Thank you, Susan. Well, I, I think the work that you have done and are doing here is critically important. And you, you are at the forefront of a wave that I'm hoping is going to start taking over but both the you know the world of divorce but just the world in general because we live in a world today 
of vast gender inequalities in pay, vast differences in how the sexes are treated societally. And, you know, we're tra- we think we're moving forward, but I found the, in- the results of your recent survey, which I'll talk about, to be so fascinating because it shows maybe that we've made some progress, maybe that uh, they're, you know, where we need to go, but there's still a long way to go. So let me just first uh, explain to people, you recently result, released the results of a survey, and I'll have a link to the survey uh, white paper in the show notes. Um, and it was on single mom income and time sharing and really that relation. And it seeks to understand the connection between single mother's income, so mothers who are either, you know, who are raising children in a single parent household. Um, and as that relates to the time sharing with their children's father. And I think this is a very, you know, this is going to be a sensitive topic. This is going to get some people's dander up. Uh, but the the results of your survey were fascinating. So, you know, let's just start with, you know, what was your top takeaway from the results of your survey? What What's the thing that you really noted the most? And so it was, uh, so the number one thing is there was a direct correlation between equality and time sharing and single mom's income. So we know that when moms share parenting time 50-50, the chances of them earning at least $100,000 are 300 times that of moms who have sole 100% time with their kids. So on one hand, that is uh, astonishing because the numbers are so compelling on the same at the same token, it's completely common sense. It makes absolute sense. And in terms of a general larger conversation that we're having in this country, especially in this moment, in this pandemic, when we're having moms are completely burnt out, they're unemployed, the moms that are working are, ex, are you know frontline workers that are at risk. I mean, everything is highlighting how much work moms do, especially when it comes to childcare and balancing. All of this is it's obvious we don't have great child support care. The correlation between poverty and child support is clear. The, the correlation between women earning at the very highest echelons of corporate uh, earning and business ownership and child care. At every, every single demographic, there is a clear correlation between child care and women's professional success, however you measure that. But no one's talking about single moms, right? right. And guess what? We have childcare built into our lives in another house that is away from our meetings while we're doing our work and recording podcasts, we have that at our fingertips. Almost all of us, the vast majority of us have co-parents, right? Or the potential to have co-parents. It is there. So I'm coming at this. So there was this survey. So that's just one major takeaway. And it was very confirming to me because anecdotally, I was seeing this. I have this large, you know, I have I mean, this, I run a data-driven business and I have millions of data points about single moms and I have thousands, tens of thousands of anecdotes over the years. I've been doing this for like nine years. I've been doing the single mom stuff for a long time. And it's just story after story. We're telling the same story. When women had good co-parenting relationships, the more equality, of course, you and I know it's a sliding scale. Not everybody's going to do one week on, one week off. But the more equality we had, the more women were able to invest in their careers, invest in their earning, start businesses, make side gigs, relax and chill out in between their parenting, go on a date, go out with your girlfriends, go for a hike, 
take a little trip. All of these things make us better people. They make us better earners. They make us better citizens and they make us better parents. And they had less conflict. They had less conflict with their, their kids' dads. So all of this was like, I was fingers crossed that the data was going to play out and support my hypothesis. And it did. Um, so that was extremely exciting. It is extremely exciting because this is not just for those single moms. It's not just for those single moms that have 50, 50. This is a message to all of us that why this is better for us. This is, I really believe that single parents, and I will say single moms, single-handedly can work, it can be the silver bullet closing the pay gap. I really believe that because we are not now this tiny percentage of weird, you know, broken homes. This is now the majority of families in this country. The majority of babies born to millennial moms are unmarried moms. Many of them have partners that, you know, are committed partnerships, but statistically the majority of those families are going to end up in two household families. So we are now the majority of families. We have the majority and women have the power over the kids. We do. We, if you want it, if you if there is a dispute, we go. A mom goes to you, and you take them to court. Well, you don't do that anymore. But I'll go to the lawyer. You go to court. Statistically, the moms are going to get the kids majority of the time if that's what she wants. Courts are sexist. Our culture is sexist, and both women and men are sexist. We still believe intuitively that children belong with their mothers, and I am passing no judgment about that. I. I, to this day, am working through my feelings about that. That's how I started my motherhood. That's how I started my divorce. That's how I started my own co-parenting relationship. I believe those babies belonged with me because I'm the mom. I gave birth. I believe they bonded more with me. I believe dads, you know, I bought into all the stereotypes about the dads or the, you know, secondary parent and the doofus dads. I bought into that unconsciously. And you can laugh, but it is detrimental because when we collectively buy into this, the dads check out. The moms are making all the, their moms are taking care of the kids all the time. And the moms are then also earning all of the money and it's less, it's a lot less. So anyway, so that was the takeaway. It quantified my feelings about this. The other thing that was very important that was actually very surprising to me was that the majority of moms that were surveyed, again, is almost 2,300 single moms actually want equally shared parenting. They support 50-50 parenting. And that flies in the face of the general narrative about this. There's a lot of activism in this shared parenting movement. It's mostly men that have gone through bad custody situations themselves. And that has colored the movement to suggest that moms, you know, really don't want equality. And, and the, my, my survey uh, played out different numbers. So that was very exciting to me. So to your point, it shows up that we are, we are, things have changed. The world has changed. Women are starting to see the value of 50-50 parenting. I've only talked about why it's great for moms. This is great for kids. I mean, it is, the science is done. Equally shared parenting is absolutely what is best for children, period. There are at least 60 peer-reviewed studies. There are meta surveys of all the experts. It is done. It is done. And it is, it is true when there is high conflict. It is true when the parents do not choose it themselves. You know, there's a narrative that, well, this is really great if people, if they're, if you're going to Paltrow and Chris Martin and you sit down and it's an agreement. No, when a judge tells you, despite your, your better feelings about, you know, despite what you want, that it's 50, 50, it is still what is best for kids. Um, and I mean, look, it's best for economy. It's best for men. It is best for all of us. Just put the child care down the middle 50, 50. It's not, it is actually not complicated at all. No, I think I think what's complicated about it is it goes to people's identity 
And, you know, I was mentioning to you our mutual friend, Kate Anthony, um, the, the host of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, recently posted on Instagram about the fact that in order to start closing the gender pay gap, we needed to close the shared parenting gap. And some of the responses that she got on her Facebook page and her Instagram page from women were really vociferously against shared and equal parenting time and made the point, be it factually true or not, and based on what you just said about the studies, I think it's not true, that children have to be, that they do better when they're with their mothers, that they have to be with their mothers, especially when they are of tender years. Let's use that legal. You know, so if you could address that particular issue, because I think that, you know, it was such a strong reaction that it, it makes me feel that for at least those people responding, this this goes very deep. This goes to it, a it identity. I think what you hit the nail on the head, it goes into people's identities. And this goes to men and women. This is this is men and women, I believe and I've only studied women, but I interact with many men also. This, we are all victims of this same effed up narrative. And that narrative tells women that we are the superior parent. And as such, by way of birthright, just be, you know, by biology, and as such, it is our duties to sacrifice our power in the public sphere by way of positions held and money earned, to sacrifice that for the sake of the family. On the flip side of that, fathers are told by the way of their gender that it is their duty to be the breadwinner, that their value and their identity is tied up in breadwinning, and it is their duty to sacrifice their relationship with their children, time with their children, and intimacy within their fatherhoods for the sake of maintaining that identity in the public world. These are just exactly yin and yang. They are completely complementary to each other. So when we start, you know, your work and the work I'm doing and our colleagues, when we start torpedoing that with science, (laughs) numbers, data, right? You can't argue facts with emotion. I mean, you can. I mean, we're living in an age where that's very relevant. But it it is really cutting to the root of people. And we're asking a lot of them to overcome the conditioning that they've had for their entire lives. We, we, the work we're doing is asking them to rip down 30, 40, 50, 60 years of their the most primordial understanding of who they are and how the world works to give room for something new to bloom. And that is a lot. We are asking a lot of people. Yeah, I, I agree. But I also do think if we don't start asking that of people, It's not going to change. And unfortunately, it's a self-perpetuating cycle because when we, this, our generation does it, or our parents' generation did this and fell into the stereotypical roles, we are modeling that for the children we are raising who then go on to perpetuate it and model it for their children, et cetera, et cetera. And so we're never going to see change until people are able to take a deep breath, I think, is is part of everyone who's listening right now who's hearing this and is feeling the perhaps, you know, disturbance of, of changing these deeply ingrained thoughts and beliefs. 
and hearing the science as you referenced or the statistics because one thing that really popped out at me in your your study in your white paper and it correlated I had recently had Molly Hillenbrand on and her episode was if I'd only known then when I got divorced what I know now and that episode jumped to like number 2 on my top list practically overnight. And her biggest takeaway was that she wishes she hadn't fought for every single second, minute, and hour with her children because it's in those moments when they're with her co-parent, with their father, that she can focus on her business and on recharging her batteries and is showing her daughters what a strong, successful woman can do. And she says if only, I mean, she said she spent six, seven months fighting for a parenting plan that ultimately wasn't what she she wanted. And it's exactly what you're describing now. You said, I think your study showed that a preponderance of single moms would like a shared equal parenting situation. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, we shame women into doing exactly what Molly did. It is a, it is a, a, a function of shame. Um, there's a, a guy that I became friends with who's in the shared parenting movement and he's a young dad. And he said, um, you know, went to his still middle of a horrible custody battle and it started off like pretty amicable and he felt like his, you know, his ex was being reasonable and outside of court when he's like, why are you doing this? You know, you know, you, last week you told me what a great dad I was and we were getting along and now you're fighting for every minute. And she said, she turned to him and said, just think about how bad it would look if I didn't do this. Oh yeah. That's. Wow, you just said that and everything just went ding, 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 ding. Because I had um, a non-custodial mom who came on, Susan Eckstein, who we did an episode. And she is a mom who voluntarily decided in her um, agreement with her co-parent, with her ex-husband, that her two boys were going to be better off staying in the family home because it, it, she just decided that was better. So she is a non-custodial mother. And she said that the societal abuse that she has taken, the shaming that has been done mostly by other women, has been really hard to live with. Um, and and she was, I thought, very brave to even come on my show and talk about it. Um, because she said not only did she receive a lot of shaming from other women, she received it from herself. Right. No, I think that is very brave and it's very important. These, um, script flips like that, right. When we start to hear about the other gender taking on these non-traditional roles though, I would taking her out of it hundred percent, but just speaking in the abstract, uh, there, so I did start this little site, uh, moms for shared parenting, where I can be working out some of these issues around shared parenting specifically opposed to my main business, which is about single motherhood overall, holistically. And the tagline of moms for shared parenting is equal rights, equal responsibility. Because, um, so the two narratives that I hear from my, the single moms that follow me, and then now also this large group of men in the shared parenting movement, they're again, different, but a hundred percent complementary narratives, which is the men that want more time, more equal time with their kids. They scream that women are the gatekeepers and they keep the children from them. And the women are screaming, I want the dad to show up, but he will not show up and do his share. He will not take on his responsibility. And I believe them both equally. They're both happening equally. 
And the key to what I just said is equal. If we are going to talk about equal rights, we have to be talking about equal responsibility and vice versa. So when I'm speaking to the men, they're all in their own little bubble of men that have really gotten screwed over by the court system. But looking outside of that, men don't show up. They do not show up and take care of their kids. Speaking to the women, they do keep the kids from their dads. They do it formally through court. They do it in passive, more passive ways in terms of being controlling and hostile to the point they get doesn't want to show up. I mean, these are both happening. So my message is it has to be equality. If we want equality, you have to be taking equal responsibility for these kids, truly. And that's not easier said than done, right? We can split the time equally, but then who's making the doctor's appointments and shipping the kids to dance in the middle of the afternoon? Like it's, it's, it's more complicated than just splitting the time, but we really do have to take out of the equation that it's societally acceptable for one parent to choose to check out. It can't be, it absolutely can't be. And I'm gonna extend this to say that it also, if we were speaking specifically to the women, if we want equal rights, if we want equal rights to vote, then you gotta show up and vote. If you want equal rights to the workplace, you have to stay in the workplace and work and stop treating it like a hobby, right? If you want equal rights, you take equal responsibility and not just for yourself and your kids, but for all the women around you that are watching you drop out after we've all worked for it so hard for you to maintain that spot. It is about all of us that we're fighting for. And the same message goes to the dads. Yeah, I, actually, that's an, an incredibly powerful point, I think, for people to hear, because we all talk about what we want, what what my rights are, um, but you're, you're 100% correct. It's really the responsibility. If you are going to argue for those rights, you need to step up. And that comes down to, you know, I've... I've represented moms who are are asking for more parenting time, the preponderance of parenting time, and I've represented dads who are, you know, looking for that every other weekend and one night during the week, and they don't show up for the one night during the week because they're working late, and so you know, so that goes by the wayside half the time. It, it truly means if what you want is equal parenting time and, and equal shared responsibility, you have to be there. For or or be responsible for your parenting time, and I should say that doesn't mean you have to be there. It might mean that you have to have an appropriate caregiver, or you just said schlepping the kids around to their soccer games. It might be an appropriate caregiver taking your children to those. And games. you hire that caregiver and manage that caregiver. And this is where we talk about gender equality, right? So there's plenty of science out there that shows that. To this day, the majority of people in power are white men, and almost all of them have stay-at-home wives. So they don't, they don't give two shits about promoting women, affordable childcare, family leave, flexible schedules. They don't care because they personally never had to deal with that. And I'm going to give them a big pass because that's just human. If we personally don't struggle with an issue, we just don't care about it right? In your mind, you might care about it. In your heart, you don't. And your actions don't reflect that. But if we are going to have equality, that's, that is really the big powerful thing about why we need more women in power, because they have felt that pain for decades, for centuries, right? That work-life balance and trying to figure out if you can go to the board meeting or you have to stay home with a sick kid. If you don't struggle with that very, or keep your job or homeschool your kids in a pandemic. If you are personally not 
figuring that out on a day-to-day basis, you are not going to create better policies for other other people. So back to my whole um, message that single moms and equally shared parenting are going to close the pay gap. When we have dads at every level, I mean, if you are you know an hourly worker or you're running a Fortune 50 company, if you have 50% responsibility and you have to figure that out, whether it's stepping out of, of an important meeting early, canceling a trip, or managing the the nanny, like yourself, like really managing it, like really being truly responsible for it. All of the sudden, you are in a totally different paradigm, and you're going to start making very different policies that affect the world. That is how the world is going to change. Yeah, that's such a good point. And I'm thinking about, you know, I had one client who it was a dad and he was really vociferously arguing for shared equal parenting time, but wanted a clause in the parenting plan that said if the kids were sick and couldn't go to school during his parenting time or something came up like that, that the mom would take them. And every mom listening to this, their, their, their blood pressure just went through the roof. Call, call the ambulance. Like that is the problem right there. You just illustrated exactly what is wrong with this country, really on a fundamental level. I have no patience for it. Well, I, I mean, try being his attorney, right? So here I am. And and my job as the attorney is to argue for what he wants. But actually, you know, when I, I will say to his credit, so we sat down and, you know, maybe this is just um, illustrative for people. We had a conversation about parenting and about being a parent and being there for the children. And it turned out, you know, one of the reasons why he was arguing so much for shared parenting time was because he didn't want to be marginalized in his children's lives. That was a big fear of his, but he didn't see the irony of the fact that even if it was his parenting time, he didn't want the 100% of the responsibility, much what you said. Exactly. Because that's how it had been in the marriage, in the relationship. And he just wanted that benefit to, to continue. But when it was pointed out to him and when we discussed it, he, he, you know, his mind started to change and to think. And so maybe that's what this episode can do for people. And I don't mean everyone just that dads need to rethink things. Moms need to rethink things too, because in that particular case, by the way, the mother was willing to agree to that clause. Right. Because that would have given her power. Okay. She has that much more time. She can always hold that over his head as well. You know, there's probably a money negotiation in that deal, right? Mm -hmm. She's probably dependent on his money. And she can always be like, oh, well, I was there. And I've been there holding that thing over his head. I, I, And everything you just said, I think, is very human. And it's also very beautiful because you, in that conversation, are doing God's work. Like, you are just showing people their humanity and how flawed it is and how to be better. And this is how we make change. You know, like I'm out here being a loud mouth and doing my media projects and like getting into policy work and testifying before state legislators. And that's activism. But activism, it happens at home. It really does. And I can tell you, like I talk about this all day long to anyone that will listen and people in my personal circle. I have won them over and it's not always easy. The most progressive feminist people who love me and I love them are not immediately on board, but I've I break them down. I, I don't let up. I, <laughs> I will can imagine down. that you can. <laughs> and I keep hearing success stories. You know, I have like a good girlfriend of mine who grew up in a divorced family. You know, her dad was a lawyer, the mom was a teacher, like the whole traditional thing. And 
she didn't buy it. And she's like, you know, you've really changed my tune about this. Now my girlfriend, her sister is going through a divorce, high conflict, big alimony, blah, 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 blah. And she's on her sister's case singing our tune. She is. And I keep hearing these other divorce stories, but one I heard recently, a girlfriend of mine uh, was kind of being a good friend to her friend going through a divorce. And this friend was fighting tooth and nail for like all the time, all the money. And my girlfriend, Penny said, you know, I don't look, I know you're not having your marriage. That's fine. But he's a good guy. Just do 50, 50. That's what's fair. And the divorcing friends like, you know, you are the only person in my life that has said that everybody else told me to fight for as much as I could get. And they did. They went 50-50 and that was a couple of years ago and now they're doing great. That's yeah. how we change people's lives. It is a social, we're, we're, we're creating new social norms and those are so powerful. Again, the science supports that. Whether we're talking about your personal finances, if people that are, live in debt tend to have friends who are in debt. People who smoke, your teenagers smoking or hanging out with smoking kids, they're going to smoke. You know, obesity, uh, divorce, <laughs> Like if one person in your sparring group is getting divorced, right? Peer groups are very important. And if you can start to change that narrative about your friend group and your family and your neighborhood on the playground, this is very powerful. Yeah. And that's, you said something in there that I want to dive in on as well, because uh, you were talking about 50-50 is what's fair. And I've actually said, really, when we talk about parenting plans, what's fair is we're talking about what's fair for parents. And that's not what parenting plans are about. Parenting plans are about the children, right? Parenting plans aren't for parents. But as you point out, the science and the data point out that shared equal responsibility is best for the children. So if you could just explain that a little bit more, I think that's such a key component because the first thing I hear from someone who doesn't like this message is it's not what's best for the children. Well, that's a very popular opinion and it's wrong. Science doesn't back it up. Yeah. It's the science is all there and I will be happy to send you all the links you can share with your following because it's very important to focus on the science here. And so uh, the larger picture is that we have a fatherless epidemic in this country. We have tens of millions of children who are growing up without meaningful relationships with their fathers. And the ramifications of this are devastating. If a kid does not have a meaningful relationship with their dad in their lives, they have exponentially higher chance of very important things, mental and physical health issues, incarceration, early sexual activity, STDs and early pregnancies, uh, dropout rates, academic challenges, and then lifetime issues with relationships, uh, employment, and earning. It is an epidemic. It is an epidemic. Why don't we have more engaged fathers? Well, these are families that are separated and divorced families And the dads systematically are marginalized in their children's lives. It is a sanctioning of marginalizing fathers. And the studies play out. When men are marginalized, they check out. They check out. And you can make all the intellectual arguments you want that they shouldn't. And you would do that. And you would fight for your kids. And all of those things. But these are human men. These are human beings who love their children who feel very, men and women pull equally in terms of having their identities connect to their parenthood. Men today spend more time, just like women, we are this culture of hyper-parenting where we're spending exponentially more time with, I mean, come on, look at the pandemic. Is that really, really great to spend a lot of time with? It's not. <laughs> I give you permission. And the science, again, is there. More time is not better. With babies, yes, it's, 
there is something to be said about attachment parenting and nursing and holding cuddling babies. After age two, it does not matter how much time we spend with our kids. And in fact, the financial sacrifices that women make to make that happen is actually more detrimental than what you think is hurting your kids by like, by working. Anyways, I'm going off on a tangent. Fatherlessness. Oh, but a good one. But a good it's point. a very important one. I have just yeah. like, when I read that science, it was a bunch of years ago and I've written about that so many times. I just like, I'm free you. Like I am freeing you from these endless, boring, stressful hours of spending with your children. You don't have to do it. It's actually bad for everybody. The kids need more freedom. They need to run around the neighborhood. They need more free range parenting, more doing whatever you want to do. Work, play, moms, go. Everyone needs to go to the gym more. We all need more sleep. Just go do those things and stop hypermanaging your children. So anyways, but we get back to parenting and father is so, and the studies are there when men are marginalized in their children's lives by way of court, almost always they are checking out. They are checking out. And I don't really care what you, whether that's right or wrong, whatever it is happening. So how do we mitigate this? 50-50 parenting, 50-50 parenting. Hello listeners. I just want to thank everyone who has gone and already signed up to become members of the Divorce and Beyond members only community. Those people who have signed up are already enjoying all of the exclusive benefits of membership, which include downloadable materials, the archive of the podcast, which is all ad-free. You get exclusive members-only podcast episodes, the Ask Susan Anything forum. And in fact, we've just uploaded a new answer to that. There's a monthly membership newsletter, and we're going to have videos, including the one that we just loaded from Dr. Kabeca from last week on getting your sexy back. So come on over to divorceandbeyondpod.com and join the community. It's only $10 a month, and we can't wait to welcome you there. Stay tuned for more from Susan and her guest, advocate, author, and creator of Wealthy Single Mommy, Emma Johnson, talking about the need for equal parenting responsibility. The initial, well, first of all, our family courts are set up to somehow replicate what was happening when the family was married, assuming they were, which is also, that's not happening anymore. Young people aren't getting married. But Okay, well, if we want to replicate that, then we're going to have two people that hate each other screaming at each other's lives. Like, we don't want to replicate that. We want something new and better. If you are enjoying this episode, check out the episode with leading divorce litigator, Evan Shine, who gives you the down and dirty information you need for depositions. That's really the meat and potatoes of how you settle a case. Because you can't get, as you mentioned, to the end of a case until due diligence is done, until discovery happens, until financial documents are exchanged, and part of that discovery process is a deposition. And now we return to today's show. So what does, when you say 50-50 parenting, what does that look like? Let's paint a picture for people. Well, it can look like really honestly anything you want if you can't come to that decision between yourselves. I mean, you know, I'm sure you've got all the little calendars with the color coded 2255. And I mean, my family, so we didn't have that. I've been divorced for 11, 12 years now. And we had very unequal parenting for many years. It was horrible. I hated it. I mean, I didn't hate it because I wanted 50-50. I hadn't gotten there yet. I hated it because he was flaky. I was doing everything. I was making all the money. I was a lot and I was stressed out, exhausted. I want to get rid of these kids more, right? Yeah. And I was probably angry at myself because I'd fought for that majority of time at the beginning. 
Um, and I just resented it so much. I just so resented it. And we've gradually over the years, we now we are 50, 50. And for us, my kids are older. They're just turning, um, 11 and 13 this week. So it's like one week on one week off. It's easy. Yeah. When your kids are littler, people want to like to do shorter periods, which can make sense. Um, and it can be honestly, whatever you want to make it. Um, but it's important also to think about like one being flexible, things happen, you know, it's like this week's my daughter's birthday. Her dad wants to see her on her birthday date. Okay. No big deal. Come by or take her out, whatever being reasonable. There's a pandemic happens. Okay. What does that look like? Thankfully my ex was really, we agreed very quickly. My boyfriend has, we live in New York city. My boyfriend has a place out in the mountains and Pennsylvania. So we're like, it was so scary. We're like, he's like, I want to take them out there. He said, that's great. Um, so that was easy, but because we were roughly on the same page, right? People often push back, like, what about nursing babies? Well, here's the thing. As I think you said this, the initial, well, first of all, our family courts are set up to somehow replicate what was happening when the family was married, assuming they were, which is also, that's not happening anymore. Young people aren't getting married, but okay. Well, if we want to replicate that, then we're going to have two people that hate each other, screaming at each other's time. Like, we don't want to replicate that. We want something new and better something different. We need something different. That's the whole point of being here in the room anyways. So um, it's not about replicating, it's making better. So again, we're going to equality. And then also it's often like whatever that initial agreement is, and it might even be a temporary order, that becomes such a powerful precedent that you are trying to undo for the rest of your parenting if you do want to undo it. It's like set legally, a judge may not be open to changing it, which is very common. Everybody, if somebody is happy with that agreement, the other person is not, that happy person is not going to budge and be flexible because right. they won. They don't want to give up their winning. So that initial thing. So if I envision a future with me, Susan, where it's just, we have a culture of 50-50. We have laws that support 50-50. Everybody gets it. Everyone's on board with what we're saying. And then we have a, a couple that are, you know, with young babies and nursing baby, let's say, well, one, they might think, well, it's going to be a lower conflict of wars. And that is true. When we have 50 50, it is lower conflict. So maybe they're like, okay, let's just sweat it out for a year or two until these kids get off the boob. Or, or they do separate. And they understand it's going to be 50-50, but in the short term, you know, we understand nursing is wonderful, important, and we're just going to work around that with some flexibility and open hearts and open minds because it's going to be 50-50 and we'll just have a short-term agreement to keep the nursing going. So it completely, we are changing our culture and we have to get off of this idea that everything is this fixed either or because that's not life. How you feel at the beginning of your divorce, how you feel your kids are little, you'll feel so differently about your schedule. I would love for you to talk about that as the practitioner, like how you feel at the beginning of your divorce versus a couple of years in when you want it, like you're so frustrated with having the kids all the time or somebody's job changes or new relationships when you already start dating and you're like, how am I going to hook up if I've got these kids in the house all the time? It's so annoying. Like it's a problem. Well, that's actually, and, and all they have to do, if people are wondering about this, is go listen to that episode with Molly Hillenbrand. And I, I swear that's the reason it's so popular, that episode, because she flat out said, I fought for all this time. And then, you know, not even a year later, I was like, what was I doing? You know, why, now what do I do? How do I, because there's a difference between being in a household that has two parents 
that are parenting and can like, I'm going to go run out to the grocery store. You're in charge of the kids. And now all of a sudden you are the only adult in the household. There's a lot more wear and tear on you. And if you are doing that 24 seven, hundred percent of the time, or the vast majority of the time, then it, you know, your exhaustion just goes up and up and up. And if you have to be on call, in case the you know kids go over to the other parents, but they want to come home early, or you're the only one who can take them to their ballet class or whatever that is, your entire schedule gets structured around your children's schedule, and there's and never you're so that resentful, time. and you're so yeah, resentful. I love that you. The resentment you is like through the roof, and it stirs up. You can't let go of the old marriage and the divorce because whatever those that resentment is, it's just mirroring those old issues that were happening before right? We're trying to create a new life and we're trying to create new and better parenting habits, right? We want to free women from the sense of duty to be the only parent. And we also need to free men up to be the fathers that we know they can be. And they don't need special training and they don't need permission. They Keeping a baby alive is not that hard. Like t- teenagers in developing countries have been doing it forever. It is not, it is not rocket science. Right. right. It's really it's a very big part of this is really our, you know, since the divorce boom has been also a boom of like uh, early childhood development psychology science that is lending all these ideas about how to micro engineer the perfect adult. And I, I think it's, it's playing out to be futile, right? We like all yeah. this overparenting is not serving us, but it plays into all this drama that it can circulate around divorce and separation. Yeah. And it creates, it just plays into this perpetual cycle as well as it just continues to feed itself and everybody gets very tied to their role in the family structure. And, you know, I, I, you mentioned the dad who had, you know, that anyone can keep a baby alive or keep a child alive. I mean, I've had moms argue, well, he's never taken them to the doctor or he never has fed them dinner or put them to bed. And I've had judges look at the, look at people and just go, he can learn, you know, and shame on you that he doesn't know how in the first place. But well, shame on you for thinking that's, you know, you're not, so, you're not like a great mom for, you know, letting your kid go to bed. <laughs> it's a special skill, right? It's, but it, you know, I make fun. Well, I had an experience recently and I was speaking to a group of extremely successful women. Um, and I said all the things that I just said there. So I gave my spiel, I'm like laid it all out. I'm like, obviously 50, 50 is the way to go. All right. I, I said it. So obviously you, I changed your mind. I'm done. My work here is done. And, and then we take time to take questions. Right. And the very first question is like, well, I'm going through a divorce. I hear what you're saying, but he doesn't do a very good job of washing the dish soap, rinsing the dish soap off of the dishes. So don't you think that I should have the kids the majority of time? <laughs> Okay. And I was just like, well, first of all, imagine standing up in front of a judge with your, you know, soon to be ex-husband next to you and saying he wants, you know, he's, you know, obviously capable. And I, I, I really resent when people are like, he should have the kids because he's a great dad. You don't get the kids because you're a great dad. You get the kids because they're a dad. That is like, it is really a human rights issue that you are fundamentally, you legally in this country, you're presumed to be a fit parent. You do not, you should not have to jump through hoops. But I was like, imagine just like the dad standing up there and be like, yeah, I want 50, 50. It's like, can't because one time you didn't do a good job of rinsing up this. So, and two, I really want that mom. And I said to her, I want you to examine why you think you have the authority to make that call. 
That's the root yeah. of it. Why do you have that authority? And you, and really, we want to free you from that sense of obligation. Wow. And right there, I think we've just summed up this entire episode, <laughs> right? It's a great note to end on. So, you know, Emma, how can people find out more, reach out to you? Where would you like them to go to, to follow up on this? Because this is truly an important conversation, but it's actually important that they, they play it out. Sure. So, well, you can find me, let's say, on Twitter at uh, Johnson Emma, Twitter Johnson Emma. Uh, WealthySingleMommy.com is a site, and then also MomsForSharedParenting.org. Okay. Well, and I will have all of those in the show notes. I will also have a link to the white paper for the survey. And I also have a wonderful uh, video that you sent me that um, talks about the beaver cleaver uh, generation of parenting that we're still living out um, in a certain way. So I think it's a great way to get a quick intro to this. So I want to thank you for coming on and for honestly, beyond this, for the hard work that you're doing here in the activist role that you've taken on. It is not always a popular role to take. Uh, People do not like change. And this, as we talked about earlier in this episode, really can go to people's core identities um, and and can be very difficult and be received very, um, uh, can be received received poorly. So I, I appreciate your talking about this. I appreciate the time and energy that you're putting into this because it really is, as you've just said, a human rights issue. So thank you for coming on and thank you for the work you're doing. No, well, thank you. I mean, I feel like we're colleagues in this. So thank you very much. Absolutely. you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond.